0: Welcome to the Hook and Hunt Experience with hunting and fishing expert and host of Hook and Hunt TV, Jim Crowley, and radio host and outdoorsman, Drew Kirby. On today's show, we'll cover fishing, hunting, outdoor adventures, wild game recipes, and so much more. Brought to you by Ned's Pretty Good Garage Bait and Tackle, home of the eight ninety nine dollars oil change. If you have questions, comments, or want to offer up some suggestions, reach out on Facebook at Hook and Hunt Experience. And now, here's Jim Crowley and your host, Drew Kirby. Thank you so much for coming back
1: and seeing us for episode number two, Drew, along with Jim. And, uh, Jim, we've got some pretty interesting stuff going to happen today on the show. We're going to talk to a fishing legend. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to be talking to Troy Linder um,
2: of the famous Linder family, obviously. But Troy's got so much of his own stuff going on. A great blog, a couple different television shows. And he really gets in-depth on some cool stuff today that you better stay tuned for.
1: Yeah, and I'll tell you that we uh, will have a, a couple of tips, and Jim's got a product. And uh, I also want to say, Jim, that uh, we have got a, a lot of people that have been, uh, you know, filling us with good thoughts on on the program. So if anyone has any questions or comments, we are on Facebook. Go to Hook and Hunt Experience on Facebook, or you can email us, hookandhuntexperience at gmail.com. You know, we'll feature your question on the on the show. If you've got a question that uh, you'd like Jim to answer, or uh, you know, if not, we can find someone out who can answer that question. <laughs> I know nothing about bar mitzvahs. I'm just telling you. <laughs> as long as it has to do with with uh, with fishing and and fun. That's right. Pretty excited about Troy, and we're going to talk to Troy about uh, the difference in uh, weather fishing because in california yeah. it's different than it is in illinois and minnesota because of the temperatures you know it's always different timing here but jim right. you actually have a story of a, a lake there close to you that you can kind of fish it like it's multiple uh, regions of the
2: country when i was tournament fishing that's what i did on power plant lakes and in, in power plant lakes i used to look at them fishing them in two different ways. When I was fishing where the current was or where the power was generated, in a lot of cases, I could fish it like a river um, because there's current present there. Um, when the power wasn't generating, well, then it just go back to fishing it like a natural reservoir. Where, if, the, if the lake was big enough, okay, 5,000 acres plus sometimes, um, where you could actually fish bass in all three stages of the spawn. If I went up to the warmer part of the lake and I knew that the fish were on the nest and they just weren't biting or it was really tough, you know, the water was stained, it was hard to see, you couldn't, you couldn't target fish them, you couldn't sight fish them, you couldn't see it. I'm like, you know what, these fish are, I can catch them, but they're difficult. I'm going to go to the other side of the lake where these fish are still in pre-spawn, more apt to jump on some lures, and then I would do that. Um, And so I would switch back and forth depending on what I thought was going to be, you know, put the odds in my favor. So what I'm saying is, if you have power plant lakes, and they all throughout the countries, just remember that. Because in certain parts of the lake, fish will get to that spawn sooner because that area of the lake warms up more. You're going to be in that, I usually put them in that 57 to 67 degree areas. A lot of guys knock it down to 62 to 67 degrees, whatever. Part of that lake. Is going to be in that phase. They're going to be in the spawn. If those fish are too tough to catch, go way to the other end of the lake where the water is cooler and catch those fish in pre-spawn. They're going to be more aggressive. They're not going to be locked on the nest yet. So just remember that in the back of your mind because when you're fishing those type of lakes, it can really play in your favor.
1: Break down how the spawn plays such an integral part of the fishing sport. You have basically three areas of the spawn. You
2: have pre-spawn, spawn, spawn, and then post-spawn. And so just to give you a little bit of history, I'll, I'll base this on, on reservoirs, uh, just because that's, that's, um, that's where I fished most of my termisms. and reservoir fish all do basically about the same thing. Actually, the males will probably come to the bank first and start looking around, um, for places to nest when the females move in and they both get on a nest together, they both get locked in a nest together. Um, usually it's going to be somewhere around a full moon, three days, either side of that full moon. And colder climates in the country, that that area where they will actually be on a nest will be shorter because they want to get in. Usually they won't all come to the bank at the same time. That's just the way God programmed them. That way, if there's some catastrophic weather event, a whole cycle's not wiped out. OK, so they will come in stages when you're down south and there's longer periods of warm weather there. Then you have more fish moving in mass in larger groups instead of just all at one time. So it'll last longer. Your pre-spawn usually going to be a lot more aggressive. Okay, once they're locked on a nest, they're not going to be as aggressive until the female leaves. Then your post-spawn, those males will hit just about anything. You could throw a popsicle stick with treble hooks in there and they garden that nest. The females then will usually move out to some type of vertical structure. So whether it be um, a bridge abutment or standing timber, they will go out there for several days to recuperate. It really beats them up. Pretty bad. You figure if you're only getting it once a year, you'd probably get beat up pretty bad too. You know know what I'm talking about, don't you? I I got you. um, I got you. (laughs) So, and that's
1: basically your that's basically your spawn cycle of you know how it happens. So in in reality, people that maybe are are deer hunters or elk or things like that, when I the rut basically is what the spawn is. That's exactly it. So people that maybe don't associate fishing and hunting the same, I mean, it is, it really is is. the same. It's the same type of philosophy through it all. Right. And, uh, and, and they both go through their cycles. You know, you have
2: that time before rut and then after, and then right to peak of it is when everybody wants to be in the woods because that's when they're the most susceptible. And to me, when those fish are in that pre-spawn stage, that's when they're the most susceptible. They're moving shallow. And that's when you can catch a lot of your bigger female bass or your biggest bass of the whole season is because she's going to have the most weight right before she spawns.
1: Jim, we have got a, a great show. We, uh, we're we going to talk to talk to uh, Troy Linder here in just a couple of minutes. If you hear the name Linder, you may be thinking, Linder, Linder, where have I heard that? Of course, the Linder family, just legendary in in the fishing world, uh, Hall of Fame fishermen. Yeah, at least three or four members of the Linder family
2: um, are in the Fishing Hall of Fame. There's so many jobs behind the cameras that the Linders do. Um, and such incredible stuff. And I'm lucky to know what you see on TV, they are that good in person. They are they are wonderful people. And you'll hear that from Troy today. They're just good,
0: solid Christian, good folks. Troy Linder, coming up on the Hook and Hunt Experience. This week's Hook and Hunt Experience guest star is brought to you by Hook and Hunt TV, where our slogan is, God made me a fisherman and a hunter. I'm proud of both and apologize to no one. Watch the latest episode at hookandhunttv.com. The Hook and Hunt experience continues, and Jim,
1: one thing that we have been lucky to do, and that's uh, talk to some great folks in the outdoors, and this week we've got a really good one. Yeah, we do. With us, the the wandering fisherman, host of Ontario
2: Experience, and a whole bunch of other stuff that has to do with Linder Media. Troy, Linder. Troy, welcome to the show, man.
3: Hey, hey, thank you for having me on. Great to be here.
2: It's nice to catch you in the States. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Years of you out and about, you and I ran into, before the whole world got crazy, you and I ran into each other and spent a little time at the Quad Cities in February. And I think mm-hmm. all we did, folks, honestly, was talk fishing the whole time. It was a lot of fun. Troy, you're, you're a busy guy. We're all waiting just to, we're chomping at the bit to get, you know, to get going a full gear here. But one of the things you were kind of talking to me about at the show, and you were giving some seminars on it, what kind of led you to swim baits and your philosophy on them?
3: Swim bait fishing, you know, from like we talked about, from small little baits to to big baits, you know, just the term swim bait can mean anything from multi-jointed hard baits, hard plastic, soft plastic swim baits that are two inches big up to, you know, big musky swim baits that are 12 inches long. You know, I kind of got into the the, the swim bait fishing out west in California and and seeing kind of the tail end of the swim bait craze when I started really getting into bass fishing out there in the, um, kind of mid two thousands and it it was already over its peak. And that's when, you know, the BBZ Huddleston Mm -hmm. and a lot of those other brands were really starting to come on. And those are the lakes that they, you know, I was, I was there just at, you know, just as, as, as the peak of the big bass kind of dropped off, but also it was like ramping up to like the growth of the swim bait phase. And this is, this was even before the elite series when they went to clear Lake and that's when it really exploded from there and to be out there and, and be fishing, you know, a few years before that happened, it was pretty, it was just fascinating to see this part of the industry, you know, to be there at that, to see it happen. And we, you know, when you went, when the elites went there and they're throwing those big rubber plastics out there <laughs> and just catching giant fish and taking some of those, you know, out west, like learning how to fish those big baits and then for the clear water fishing, you know, learning how to fish even, you know, small finesse swim baits and then applying those kind of techniques and strategies uh, to, you know, the upper Midwest waters and across the country and, and other places as well, Ontario, Canada, uh, you know, one of, and for other species like walleye, right. uh, walleye, perch, pike, musky. And it's been a, it, it's a fun way to fish. You know, whatever you fish, and and in my opinion, something that swims, a soft plastic swim bait just with a little tail, the most realistic all-around bait that you can pretty much throw for any fish. A moon eye, like a quarter-ounce moon eye with a a three-and-a-half-inch swim bait. Pick your swim bait, whatever it is. Got a tail on the back. Go anywhere in the world, and you'll catch salmon. You'll catch trout. You'll catch walleye, largemouth, smallmouth, spotted bass, pike, musky any fish that swims that feeds on bait fish you know a three to four inch swim bait a little tail that kicks like that you'll catch him.
2: i'll tell you how old i am i remember my first trip to canada my dad took me when i was seven and one of the first smallmouth i caught was on a purple mr twister sashy shad mm-hmm. basically was the was the first swim bait and then when you were talking about uh you know when it happened in california i remember that back then it reminded me of the craze with the a-rig that, you know, everybody's throwing this big stuff. You need almost like musky rods to throw the stuff yeah. and do everything. Because I was first introduced to them in 2004. It was actually a storm bait and it was one of their swim baits. And I was catching walleyes on them in 25 foot or 20 foot of water in yeah. Manitoba in the summertime. I brought those things back. I wanted to throw them for everything because I'd never had walleyes hit so hard.
3: Yeah, it really triggers big big fish to bite. Even, even here, you know, in Minnesota, like the past, you know, few summers, that I've, that I've been able to spend some time here and really fit, fish some different, different bodies of water, not only for smallmouth bass, but for largemouth bass. And then even, you know, I think the big, big swim baits for walleye, I still think that's kind of an uh, untouched mm-hmm. you know, or un, untouched for, for the most part. And it's different than because smallmouth bass, you know, and, and smallmouth bass, largemouth bass, you can fish them shallow. You do have to fish a little bit differently, you know, to get the baits down you know, for the walleye for pretty much the, unless it's around the spawn or somewhere in the fall when they get up in colder water, you know, and being around you, know, I, I, I fish tournaments with Bill Sementel from the BBZ and he, you know, he's a swim bait guru and designed the, the, the squirrel baits, which are, which are mm-hmm. incredible. Those are great. And I learned, you know, I learned a ton of, you know, about throwing those big baits out there, you know, fishing with him and, and then seeing other fishermen, you know, apply, you know, be there and, and see what they're throwing, how they're throwing, how they're throwing them and, the, and they like to do the little rigging and the specific yep. riggings and, and, and put the, you know, in the so when they used to cut the gills, put pipe cleaner back in there and then Jeez. have the, the, yeah. And have the little treble hook, you know, just two little hooks. They cut the bottom one or bury the bottom one in the bottom of the bait. So you have two little treble hooks at the front of the bait. It's, it's really fun. You know, a lot of parallels between the big swim bait fishing and the mentality of big swim baits and musky fishing.
1: What do you mm-hmm. find the difference of, say, fishing here on the West Coast or fishing there in the Midwest, upper Midwest, during this time of year? Because it's obviously different climates. Do you have the same mentality when you fish this time of year in both places?
3: Oh, that's a great question. And, and the s- seasonal variations, obviously, in the weather and the type of lakes um, change the way I, I would approach, you know, approach ba- bass fishing. You know, back west and the southwest, the spawn is pretty much... When are we spawn is pretty much done for the most yeah. part. It's pretty much, generally speaking, you know, there are some outlier fish that can that can keep spawning, but late you're tired. The spawn usually starts in late February, and that's still when the ice fishing upper mid, I mean, people are still yeah, right. ice fishing, and the spawn is just it's not even here yet. You know, in a lot of lakes in the Upper Midwest, it's not even here yet. So right. it's almost now. It's nice they come over here, and, and we're kind of in this pre-spawn. And the walleyes right now are probably in a lot of lakes spawn or pre-spawn now, and can't fish them here yet. And the bass aren't going to be spawning until, you know, the pretty much in May, the full moon in May, you know, in Minnesota yep. is like that full moon. You have a huge rush of fish that come up. They all spawn for bass, smallmouth, largemouth, and then they go, then they're done out west, like in Arizona, California. And I believe, you know, and, and I think the same is in like Texas and in the Southern lakes, uh, Florida, that where you have waves of fish, every single full moon, another wave of fish comes up and, and, and the spawn can last two months. You know, pretty much all of March, but you have like six to eight weeks of spawning fish. And, wow. You know, and up here you get like three days, you know, when they come <laughs> up, you have <laughs> yeah. like one weekend yep. to get it. And you better that's catch it. it when you can. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's that's an in, you know, that's you know to your question like that. So it's it's really interesting just how the how the fish change, you know, the northern strain, largemouth bass and just the way the fisheries are different with the weed growth that comes in. You don't have You know, a lot of those, those reservoirs just rock, you're fishing really clear water and rock, Mm -hmm. even in the river, it's just rock and you might get some grass, you might get some weeds, but nothing to the effect of, of like milfoil, cabbage beds, you know, that's not even an issue down there. That's a big issue in Canada and the upper Midwest, you know, you're looking for those weed, those sharp weed line breaks, but also the type of weed that you're fishing and where the first emergent vegetation is happening in legs
2: let me get back to the swim bait thing for a second when you're throwing those big baits just because i want to be i'm curious about your big setup because even though we don't throw the huge baits in the midwest here a lot there are definitely our opportunities to do it especially in the southern part of the states what is like your solid setup for you know a 12 14 inch swim bait
3: there's something for something that big i usually i don't throw like two it isn't too often i throw the really really giant giant stuff sometimes i will i get like some some bigger chunks of meat, you know, that are 14 inch yeah. for that. And, and I like kind of that, that middle in between like 10, you know, eight to 10 inch wedge tail base, right. You know, like Hudson storm makes some of the, you know, like the kicking minnow. I think they kicking yep. minnow. and done really well on musky. We, we filmed a show for Muskie in New Mexico on that and they crushed it. <laughs> but the, the unique thing they had, they make it bright orange. And yep. in that lake, there was a bunch of goldfish and that's why the muskies <laughs> were introduced I mean, the shape of that storm bait to the goldfish, I mean, it was like matched the hatch, I mean, perfectly, and they crushed it. It was so much fun. You know, for the upper Midwest, you know, we we have trout plants up here. You right. know, granted, that the size of the fish, when we're talking about nice walleye, you know, when you're talking about those upper 20-inch, you know, pushing 30-inch walleye, and I'm gonna, you know, and bass, you know, four-pound and up, smallmouth and largemouth bass, you know, uh, an 8-inch swim bait boot tail is a pretty good snack mm-hmm. it's like a per- you know the size of a good good size perch and it you know you can really trigger some of those fish to bite and with the equipment like heavy bass gear mm-hmm. the exact same without going without like if you're going to throw those really really if i'm throwing for musky I'm th- I'm, i am throw musky rods you know right. heavy you know seven foot you know seven and a half foot to, to eight foot musky rod broomsticks but if i'm going for if i'm just throwing for for even places that have pike or something, medium heavy to heavy at heavy with a, you know, a, a fast tip right. rod. And and that's pretty much my setup, you know, and I'll have, if, if the water is very pikey, if I mm-hmm. use that terminology, <laughs> which is something, the pike factor, that's something that right. we have to deal Always. with. Uh, and I try to get away from using a leader as much mm-hmm. as I can. And as Are you going to go
2: with heavier floral or heavier braid? Um, and water clarity?
3: Yeah. Yeah. You can get away with braid, uh, you know, on something, the bait is so big. Yeah. You know, mean, t- if you're throwing an eight inch bait, depending if the, the stained water you're throwing rivers, you can get away with braid. And mm-hmm. for the most part, it's like my heavy bass gear. So sometimes if I have braid I'll do, I'll even do a, you know, a two foot, uh, two floral. foot 20 pound yep. fluorocarbon or, or yep. 25 pound fluorocarbon leader on that. And just, you know, tie up a, like, um, a double uni or whatever your, your braid right. to floral favorite is on that. And that works well. And I think any, you know, I think in some of the, even the, even the Midwestern waters and rivers that, you know, that have some good clarity, you know, I think just having a little bit clear, you know, even two foot of clarity, mm-hmm. you know, for monofilament or fluorocarbon, I think really uh, ups the chances of getting a bigger fish, especially smallmouth bass when they come in and they chase it, sure, you know, or, or the, or the beta swimming slow was going like this and they get a good look at it. Um, if it's thick cover and they're just coming up and hitting it, you know, braid is fine. But if right. it's kind of more open water, having a having a clear, you know, floor cover or even, you know, monofilament like advanced suffix, advanced mono it, right. is a great option.
1: Fishing you know. has been such a huge part of your life. I mean, you grew up in the, the fishing world. When Troy Linder goes out just to have a day on the lake and fish, what's the fish that you like to go <laughs> after?
3: Well, I, I, well I, I, was, I love carp fishing. It, it is... You know, it's interesting when, it, when I went on like um, Instagram and TikTok and you do the hashtag like carp fishing. Yeah. And you compare it to how popular that is to like bass fishing and the number of times just around the world that people like carp. And and also testing out, you know, the one thing I do like, I, I love carp fish, especially in the West because they're up shallow. It's sight fishing and usually they bite. And it's like a, a plain and what I'll usually do, medium action rod. Medium action rod, ten to fifteen pound braid with, with a eight um, eight pound or, or six pound fluorocarbon leader, a number two BMC wacky hook, and I usually have that. And this is this is probably just that rod anywhere. So I put on a, a wacky bait, or I'll just put on dough. And a lot of times in those rivers, like when I'm on the Colorado River, or something like that, or, or fishing inner city lakes or something. Um, if I'm I'm talking about like shore fishing, which I love just get in the car and just go fishing. Maybe I got an hour or something with that setup. I can catch big carpets, put dough ball on there, flip it out. They'll hit it. They don't hit it. And if I see a bass, just break the dough off, put the, and I'll have a, a you know, a little pack of soft plastics in, in my pocket, put the, <laughs> put the wacky out. And, and that honestly is something that, that even in my travels, like you, you'll catch small or large if they're up shallow in rivers, and then I'll have a little weight. So I got to get a nail weight if there's some current. And then, um, and then the bread, obviously, for the, you know, a little a few pieces of bread for the carp. And everywhere I've traveled in the world, every single country has had carp. Every single, every single place, Netherlands, France, Switzerland, Canada, Mexico, U.S., China, Japan, Thailand. Like everywhere, <laughs> you just put a hook and you put some dough on it and you throw it out and you get a shot to catch a 20 to
1: 40 pound that's like Drew with a and piece of pizza. That's so, what you can do. <laughs> <laughs> so what you're telling me, though, is a carp is a carp no matter where the carp is. That's right. Yes.
3: And they're fun. They're, they're, they're just because what I like about the carp is is that it's sight fishing. It's, and I think it helps for bass fishing, like trying, presenting your bait, depending on like smallmouth fishing in current or trout fishing in current. Sometimes they get really touchy as if they're sitting in current and the current's coming like this and they're sitting like this. And how that bait drifts through or drifts by, you know, can direct, you get better with that, especially, you know, in, you know, in tournaments like that, how you can present the bait. Sure. How it's a wacky you know, they're sitting here and it floats down yep. and the way they go hit it. So, and I like sight fish. I like to see the fish come, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. It's fun just seeing them, whatever the fit. And unfortunately for, I wish I could sight fish walleye. You have to do it on sonar, but you know, I love fishing walleye. You know and I probably fish walleye almost more than bass the last couple of
2: years I was gonna say if you're from Minnesota or Wisconsin that's almost kind of like in part of the state constitution you have to fish <laughs> walleye or something's wrong yeah with
3: yeah and if they didn't boy they it's a good thing carp don't taste good or I'd be keeping them <laughs> in <both of> them. <laughs> I've watched some of the recipes uh but but man nothing like a I mean my gosh a 17 18 inch uh, uh, walleye fillet you can't you yeah. can't go a fresh cotton you put it in butter at this I don't think you mess that up. It is so. That's good. That's just all kinds of good.
1: When you do see the the season starting back up, I mean, obviously a lot of these lakes and and rivers aren't going to be fished all that much. Are you going to see a difference in the way that uh, you'll have to approach your fishing? Yeah, depending
3: on the, you know the you know the ice up here, you know the ice melt, the flowage, and you know some of the these bass, you know the crappie are starting to move in some of the backwaters right now. The the smallmouth will follow them, then the largemouth will follow them back there, and looking for some of the drain. You know, this time of year, looking for drains. You know, looking for a little bit of drains. The main river channel usually the coldest water. So wherever, uh, you know, these backwater little pockets and these drains go through, and primarily north facing coves or cuts or, or drains, because those fish like in lakes, the northern northernmost facing cove. Or pocket is going to have the warmest water and that's pretty you know it's it's pretty much any you know even on lakes so even on river systems stream systems just looking at the north side and trying to find those areas to find the warmest water especially this time of year so wherever wherever the warmest water is right now where it's heating up the fastest that's where the fish prime you know when you're talking crappie smallmouth largemouth that's where i want to be targeting
2: that's awesome. Hey Troy, we really appreciate you taking your time today, man. It's good to see you again too. Yeah,
3: good to see you too. I think we were at the last sports show of the year, right? <laughs> <Like> <laughs> I, pretty much I, like they all stopped after that.
2: A- after we left, they went. That's it. We're shutting it down. Yeah, it's over. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Well, hey, hopefully we'll be able to um, hopefully be able to get up to, and I'll I'll call you later. But hopefully we can get up there and uh, maybe film a show with you this year up Minnesota way, and uh, that would be great. Get some, and get some fishing in, man. I would enjoy that. Thanks for your time. Say hi to cool. family and uh, take care of yourself, my friend. All right.
0: Thank you. In the outdoor world, there's always something new. And here's a Hook and Hunt Experience product review presented by Crowley's Crawlers, the plastic worms that make sure you're hauling in the limit every time. The Hook and Hunt Experience continues. And Jim Crowley, you
1: go all over the place. You get to go to a lot of different shows. You get to see a lot of different products. What do you have on tap for this week? Well, I've gotten into this craze lately. I have a new hobby,
2: or a newer hobby, I should say. And it's building my own baits. And I, I love doing it. And uh, last week actually was the first time I actually filmed an episode for my show where I caught it on everything I made, from the rod to the lures. It was really, really cool. Oh, that's great. Uh, last year I was filming with rods that I made. Now I'm making some of the lures myself, just like bladed jigs, or what some people refer to as chatter baits, spinner baits. Heavy cover jigs, swim jigs, buzz baits, things like that. All right. The average bladed jig on the market today is anywhere from five to, I've seen them as high as $20. Okay. You lose one of those. That's 20 bucks. Right. All right. I can now build a bladed jig and I do, uh, for about $3 and 50 cents. That's and I can do it any way I want. I can use painted blades. I can use unpainted blades. I can put reflectors on them. I can change the col- skirt colors. I can give the fish what I want, not just what I have to get in a store. So I can literally get to the lake, custom it how I want it, and give me more confidence because I'm throwing something that I make. So I'm going to have confidence in it already, and I'm doing it for a lot less money. I do that with a company that a lot of people – the stuff that you already have, a lot of the stuff is built by this component company and it's called Lure Parts Online. And so a lot of the big companies out there get their components from Lure Parts Online. So if you go to Lure Parts Online, you put in the code hook and hunt 10, you will get 10% off any order that you place. And I'm telling you, 50, 60 bucks of Lure Parts buys you a whole bunch of Lure Parts. I mean, you can make a ton of baits with that, a ton. And they can even customize, like I do all my stuff with VMC hooks. So you go to their custom department, their custom department will make you the jigs or spinnerbait heads with a VMC hook on it, if that's what you want. But check out Lure Parts online. You'll be amazed how much stuff you can get. Great thing to get involved with, with your kids. I'll tell you, what, even my, my stepdaughter, her and I built her first rod two weeks ago. She takes it out and catches a three pound bass in her first fish. That's and awesome. a rod she built. The kid was
1: pumped. I pumped bet. Up. Is it a complicated
2: process? Who are you talking to? If I can do it. <laughs> when, I always, when we always end our show, I always say, hey, if I can do it, so can you. And that, that's true. Building a bladed jig took me about five minutes the first time. It would have taken me three minutes if I could have found my freaking glasses. I couldn't find <laughs> it. So when you get this down, I could have had one assembled quicker than, than we just did this little part of the show. It's not hard. It's just a lot of fun.
1: And the website, one more time, lurepartsonline.com.
2: That's it, lurepartsonline.com. Use that code HOOK and HUNT10, and you will get 10% off your order. And remember that and is where we say it is the amber sand sign or whatever that's called.
0: Hookandhunttv.com has been educating and entertaining the world of hunting and fishing for years. Let's find out about the latest from Hook and Hunt TV's Jim Crowley on the Hook and Hunt Experience.
1: As the show continues, we appreciate you for lasting this long, and, man, we've had a lot of stuff already. <laughs> Troy Linder was just absolutely fantastic with lots of information. And I would suggest go back and listen to that a couple of times so that you get all the information in uh, because he really gave us some good stuff. And Jim, you have hookandhunttv.com. That's how we got here. That's how we met yeah. was hooking on tv.com. And yeah. what was up on the, the last edition of hooking on TV. We got out to film a show this year and the weather's just been
2: horrible here where I am in Illinois. It's just been absolutely horrible. And so we had one day that we're like, Hey, we got four hours. It's going to be cloudy winds down before the next front comes in. I'm like, well, that's perfect. I want I want to go film a show when a front's coming in, got to a small lake that I hadn't fished in about five or six years. And the water temperature was 51 degrees. I'm like, Oh man, this is going to be cold. So, I got an idea the water was cold and clear. So, of course, I'm going to want to try to throw jerk baits then. Well, there was already weed growth and it was really tough to throw a jerk bait in there. So, I put on what has become a staple in a lot of guys' tackle boxes that bladed jigs that we were, we were talking about. I matched one and made one up, a crawdad color one. I think the third cast I had went almost three pounds and we figured it out and it just went from there. This show is a really good tutorial, I think, on showing you the different things and different trailers you can put on a bladed jig and how to make them work a little bit more effectively in cold water versus how I would throw them when the water's warmer and the fish's metabolism is higher. This will be a good show with underwater footage that shows you exactly what the lure is doing underwater and what you need it to do when the water's really cold. And I, I'm excited. It, w- it was a good show to film and a lot of people liked it. And, and I think, I think uh, our listeners, any of who tune, tune into that are going to like it
1: as well. Hookandhunttv.com. Of course you can see past shows when you go yeah. To check out uh, HookandHuntTV.com,
0: I guarantee you, you'll go back for more. Here's the latest Hook and Hunt Experience hunting and fishing scouting report. Brought to you by the Tackle Box Bar and Grill, where the stories are as big as the fish baskets and beer. The Tackle Box Bar and Grill, downtown Fish Creek, Wisconsin. All right, Jim, here's the deal. You uh, are out on the water
1: a lot. You're a retired guy now, so you have a lot of extra spare time. You watch the weather. (laughs) Uh, You really monitor what the fish are doing. Uh, What are the fish doing at this stage, the first part of May?
2: You know, like we talked with Troy Linder, in different parts of the country, they're going to be doing different things, right? So right now, the the bass, if we're talking uh, largemouth, are still in pre-spawn. Guys are catching crappies right now, really good. Uh, The water temperature when I was out last week was 51 degrees. I don't see it warming up very much in the next week or so just because of the weather. So they're still going to be in this pre-stage for a long time here in the Midwest. Um, But we get, you know, we get three or four warm days and things could go crazy really, really quick, you know. It always depends on how cool the nights get. If it doesn't get, you know, down in the 30s every night, that water's going to stay a little bit warmer each day and they're going to get better. So right now, I would say the crappies right now are still, they're catchable, man. They're in that spawn mode. I know guys are catching walleyes uh, the same way and then the bass are in pre-spawn right now so fishing if we just get the weather and we can get out i think it's when we can all finally get out i think it's going to bust loose because the fishing should be really really good this year
0: the hook and hunt experience wants you to live well from the live well here's your old buddy stink bait rivers hey you? it's your old buddy stinky hanging out here in the conversion van by the lake as we live well from the live well this week on the hook and hunt experience first of all pro tip for all of you guys at home right now you should be nice to your spouse because right now she could be poisoning your food slowly and you wouldn't even know it. But what I was thinking about today is I'm sure glad the coronavirus doesn't work at Walmart, Lowe's, Home Depot, the grocery stores, the bowling alleys, and places like that because we would be screwed if it did. Think about that. <laughs> you betcha! Joe Buddy Stingbait, we'll see you next time right here on the Hook and Hunt Experience. <laughs> We can't leave you high and dry. Here are some words of wisdom in the last cast with Jim Crowley on the Hook and Hunt Experience. We've all been
2: cooped up so much more, you know, and being at home. Think about uh, the holiday weekends when you go out, and I remember just watching some of the people that don't take their boats out for the entire summer. And then a weekend comes around, and they try to back their boats down the boat ramp. I remember sitting at lakes where guys would literally get coolers of beer and sit and watch these people do that and hold up cards like 9.5, 10 <laughs> of how bad they screwed it up. Just imagine what's going to happen now. I would not want to go to a lake that I frequent that I know gets a lot of boaters because as soon as the floodgates are open, folks, they're out there. I've seen them walking in Walmart. They will be at the boat ramp and they are going to be slipping, sliding back in their vehicles in the water and everything. So what I'm telling
0: you to do is if you see them towing a boat in the Walmart parking lot, don't follow them to the lake. Thanks for stopping by the show. Head over to the Hook and Hunt Experience on Facebook and give us a like and find out more about this week's show. The Hook and Hunt Experience is brought to you by HookandHuntTV.com. Stop by and watch the latest episodes airing now. Moxie Dog Treats, your dog will love you. And brought to you by Crawley's Crawlers, the plastic worms that make sure you're hauling in the limit every time. And the Tackle Box Bar and Grill where the stories are as big as the fish baskets and beer. Join us next week for the next episode of the Hook and Hunt Experience.